0: session with Dr. Fadid
1: Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host Dr. Fadi Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next 2 hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310. 310- 0555 before i get started with the books um and the reason why i'm doing the books today is because monday night i was joined by parsa pekar who was talking about the work he does with the inmates at the twin towers jail in los angeles and the book he has made with them um, a big thank you again to him for joining me monday night and sharing that experience and also for allowing me to join him this past saturday and i was with him for a few hours there at the jail and we got to meet with some of the inmates and I told him and I told the inmates I met with that I will be back so I'm looking forward to joining him again soon uh, to do that but I was very inspired by the work he does inspired just by his love of people as he talked about Monday night and that he wanted to just give love to these people that he didn't know yet but now he's built these relationships with them over the past year and a half that he has been going but a really lovely story and a wonderful man. So I was happy to have him on the show Monday night. Also wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who donated toys for our Mattel Children's Hospital toy drive. Um, Susie Khatami picked up the toys today and I think she said there were so many toys she had to make a few trips or needed some help to, to get all the toys out. So that's great to have that kind of a problem, that we have so many toys to donate to these kids. So thank you to everyone who made donations, whether you live in the area or you sent them in, as many people did. We really do appreciate that. And also a big thank you again to Suzy Khatami for organizing the toy drive for us now. I think this is the third year we've been doing it, and without her, we wouldn't be able to do that. So thank you again to her. All right, before I get to the book of the week for this week or the one that I uh, will talk about today. This week's book of the week that I'll talk about next week, which will be next Wednesday, because Monday night will be Christmas Eve, so we won't be doing a show, but on Wednesday's show. It's The Secret World of Sleep by Penelope A. Lewis. The Secret World of Sleep, The Surprising Science of the Mind at Rest. So looking forward to reading this and sharing it with you next Wednesday. For the book of the week that I'll talk about tonight... Or today is a book about love by Jonah Lehrer, and a book about love, the title was a good title. I remember, I think I told my brother, home we were at the bookstore. I was like, this is a good title, uh, which, again, I judge a lot of books by their covers and their titles. Um, and this one was overall a good read. I did mention this last week that after I picked this book, I found out uh, that the author, Jonah Lehrer, had gone into some hot water for some journalistic integrity issues where he had fabricated some quotes and maybe plagiarized some other things, and he was um, really, I guess, in a lot of trouble for that. And so in this book, he actually talks a bit about his process, and sometimes I felt too much that he was almost trying to apologize and show that he's a good guy. So at times I felt like you felt that theme throughout the book, Uh, and in the beginning of the book he has an author's note where he says that Because of what he's gone through recently, he's made sure that in this book, he's done a lot of things to do fact-checking and uh, talking to the sources in different ways and all that. But anyway, um, the book itself, obviously, as the title implies, is about love, and it starts off talking about attachment, which is very important, and uh, the research done by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, and... um, how important attachment is, feeling securely attached to our initial caregivers from a young age, and the implications this have, has for our overall mental health, even physical health, but also in our romantic relationships. We see that what happens in the first years of life has a big impact in how we are in our relationships later in life. And if we can build a secure attachment with our primary caregivers, usually primary caregiver is the mother, but doesn't have to be, this can have really positive implications going forward. And so one thing about secure attachment that's interesting to me is oftentimes people will think and people will still think this way. And throughout the research on parenting, this comes up, this idea that, well, if you give a kid too much love, if you hug them too much and love them too much, they're going to get spoiled or they're going to get clingy. And this is one of the paradoxes of attachment is that when you give a child a secure base, when they feel that your love is always there, that you will always be there, then they actually feel more free to explore and go out. But when they don't know if you're going to be there or not, that can actually create more clinginess. What might be like an anxious attachment style where they will always feel like Because they don't know if you're coming or going or when you're going to leave or if you're going to be there for them physically or emotionally, they're more likely to be clingy. So when you give a child attunement, meaning that you pay attention to how they're feeling and show that you know how they're feeling and respond in that way, and if you're sensitive to how they're feeling and you also respond to their physical needs when they're especially an infant, this makes the child feel safe and secure which means they're safe and secure to explore the world, but also safe and secure to create relationships. Because if we don't feel that we can rely on people, if we don't feel that we can securely attach to someone and have that feeling with someone, it's scary for people to create relationships. And the research shows that you're more likely to either not be in a relationship or for your marriage not to work out because you're not gonna be securely attached to your new partner. So it's very important that kids get this feeling, a sensitive response from parents from a very young age. And we shouldn't think that if we love our kids too much, they're gonna get spoiled or gonna take advantage of that or become clingy. It's actually in a way quite the opposite. When a child gets enough love, they feel safe, they won't feel clingy, they'll be ready to explore and they'll be ready to create more loving relationships in their lives. Also related to parenting, uh, he cited some research that I thought was interesting, the idea many parents have of should I send my kids to daycare or not and what's the cost to them, and he talks about a study that was done by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development that began in 1991 and tracked more than a 1,000 American children, and they found that there weren't any reliable differences for children based on how much time they spent with non-parental caregivers which is interesting but what they found was important is that the parents um, created a secure attachment which was most likely to be created from the sensitivity of the parents and how well they responded to the child's state of mind so it seems that if you don't have the time um, or if you need to use child care and you're worried about that it's Not the end of the world. The child can be okay, but it's very important for you to make sure the time you do have is quality time, if you have less quantity, and to make sure you show them a lot of love and sensitivity, and that can still allow them to create a healthy attachment. Um, He also talked a bit about online dating, which I thought was interesting, and some of the things I've talked about before, this idea that a lot of these websites will tell you that they have the secret formula, that if you... You know, fill out this questionnaire, they're going to find your perfect love matches, and then we'll select them using our formulas and our algorithms and our whatever else it might be. But the research is showing that this is not the case, that there really isn't a secret formula, that if we ask you a few questions and ask someone else a few questions, we can find out if you're going to be a good match. And that's why I always say, to me, it's not even online dating, it's online meeting. You get exposed to more people, you can see more people that you could potentially be a mate with, but then you have to do the dating in real life as you would if you met someone in some other way. So it's online meeting, and then you have to do the dating in real life. Um, But it was interesting that he shared some research on that and that we don't really know uh, what's the most important things, or I should say some of the ideas we have that you have to have the same interests. There can be some benefits there, but it doesn't have to be the case. What's even more important, he talked about, was how you deal with emotions. If two people are the same in this way, that can be very important. If you both like to talk things out and to think about your feelings in a certain way, that's helpful. But if one of you likes to talk about their feelings and the other one can't tolerate talking about feelings, you're going to be in some trouble. So that can be more important than to make sure you both like hiking or you both like sports or you both like something else. That can be less meaningful. And a lot of times, when we look at the online dating, it's looking at what are your interests, and if you both like hiking, then you're a perfect match for each other. But really, that's not necessarily the case. There's also a, a short chapter on love lost, looking at heartbreak, and it was interesting. He he mentioned that in nearly every language, um, they use broken heart as a representation of a failed love affair. So almost every language, we see this, which is quite interesting. It shows maybe it's a human experience. And you feel that when you go through a breakup or some kind of loss, it almost does feel like your heart is hurting. And um, he even mentions a study that's found that almost 40% of people who were rejected by a lover experienced the symptoms of clinical depression, or they met the criteria, 40%. And if you've been in that situation of being rejected or just being in a breakup you know that it really is very painful and you can feel depressed for some time and some people do even fall into a longer a major depressive disorder Whole, um, you know they'll experience it for even weeks or months but that many people will experience this after a breakup and even one to two percent of people will experience something called Takotsuba cardiomyopathy um, which is where the cardiac muscles weaken and degenerate. So for 1% to 2% of people, really, it's almost like their heart is breaking, So, it, which is kind of remarkable, but it, it makes sense. And the analogies we use or the metaphors we use talking about heartache and heartbreak. But we know that love is, is risky. I've talked about this a lot of times, and he mentioned it too, that even though we know we can get hurt so bad, it's kind of amazing that we keep going back searching for love again or trying to create love and have it again because it means that much to us but it doesn't mean it's without risk and without pain Um, but also the pain can help us grow and he talks about that post-traumatic growth which people in traumatic situations sometimes will grow from what they've been through but even from a breakup we can grow from it from that pain a lot of times pain can actually lead to growth in the end of the book he uh, talked about some interesting things that I found important because to me they're they're important to keep in mind. One was the idea of grit, which there's been research done uh, or a book written by Angela Duckworth with the same name. Grit, which is kind of this um, ability or characteristic of persevering or fighting through things, of not giving up, and that they found that this is a big predictor of success in lots of areas of life, especially academically, or is found in, I think it was uh, Army cadets at West Point. But even in love, which is an area we don't sometimes think of this, of grit, someone who's willing to persevere, someone who's willing to fight for their relationship and fight for their love. And I thought that was so important because oftentimes people think, uh, as Eric Fromm talks about in The Art of Loving, that one of the problems of love is to find the right object to love. And once we find the right person to love, the rest is easy. But this is not true. Love is difficult. Uh, Falling in love is not that hard, but staying in love and staying in that feeling and, and keeping a strong relationship is not easy, and it does take work. You have to persevere, and that's exactly what they find, is that those couples and those individuals who are willing to persist in the name of love, that know it's going to be hard work, that know that even when it gets difficult, that doesn't mean this is the wrong relationship. That means they have to work hard to keep that feeling, to keep working on things. Those are the couples that survive. And so I thought that was a really a good point and a good way even to end the book or to bring up that idea at the end of the book, that it's so important to realize if you think love is going to be easy because you found your quote unquote soulmate, it's not. Uh, And this idea we have of, Romeo and Juliet and falling in love. And if you find the right person, it's going to be amazing. He talks about that and how this concept of love is really not accurate. That to think you're just going to fall in love with someone and feel that way forever, or limerence, that feeling you can have at the beginning when you're falling in love. We all think because of the movies and things like Romeo and Juliet, that that's what we're supposed to be searching for. But really, that's not what love is. Love is much more, it's a much slower burning flame than just some hot passionate flame at the beginning you want to create a companionate love companionate love means you're going to last longer in that loving feeling not just feel passionate love in that moment and so I thought that was important And also he cited research that John Gottman and others had done that couples at the beginning they found that couples who had more verbal conflict were doing worse but then they found that actually after a few years those couples that We're having more of these conflicts or having more of these conversations. We're doing better. And this is why I'm always encouraging people to have those uncomfortable conversations, to not think, well, it's good to hold things in and pick your battles. No, you have to tell your partner what's upsetting you, what's hurting you in the relationship about what they're doing. And as I say, it's not because you want to hurt them. It's because you love them and you love your love so much that you want to have those conversations because you know that's going to be necessary in order to keep your relationship going, to keep it strong. We have to have those conversations. So love is not something we get lucky in. Yes, you can feel lucky to have found your partner. But once you have that person, we have to work really hard to keep that love alive, to keep it strong, to keep working on the relationship. Couples who stay in love many years, many decades after they have met, it's not just because they are lucky, as some people like to think, oh, they're just so lucky they found someone that they still love so many years later. No, it's because they're working on their relationship. It's because they're committed and understand that it takes hard work to keep that love alive. So those are some of the thoughts I had on this book, a book about love by Jonah Lehrer. And the book of the week this week, which I'll talk about on next Wednesday's show, is The Secret World of Sleep by Penelope A. Lewis. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Good, thank you. Thanks for calling.
0: No problem. I don't know where to start. So a year and a half ago, I met a guy, and we dated for about a year. And after one year, he proposed, and I said yes to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I moved in with him for about a month. And after that, uh, I saw we are not really... You know, we have uh, disagreements on so many things, so I decided to give him a break, and I returned my ring, and I said, whenever you're ready, just come back, and, like, we can start fresh. So he told me, go to your mom's house, that's fine, and think about our relationship, and you're going to come back. So he's, he wouldn't say that I would come back to you, and he said, you're going to regret it, whatever, and you're going to come back. And it didn't happen. For two months, we... I didn't go to his house, like we were kind of friends, I know friendship after relationship doesn't really make sense. But we stayed friends. We were in touch but we didn't have any kind of relationship. So after two months I said, Okay, this is not gonna happen and I did it, another guy.
1: But let me ask you, I'm I'm confused. You're the one that left when you're saying it's not gonna happen. Why first of all, why did you leave?
0: Because uh he wasn't trying for our relationship he thought he, we are still in friendship stage even though he proposed me he couldn't see himself as a husband or a responsible person. I thought by giving the ring to me he would change his mentality he would move from you know like single life zone to kind of married or more responsibility zone like he would say i, I he changes what he said I don't I'm not ready for it I'm not ready for. Like having kids, I think he
1: got uh, cold feet. Cold so feet, not okay.
0: Sure what yeah. uh, how? By the way, I how old?
1: A- how old are you, and how old is he?
0: I'm 30. He's 45.
1: You're 30. He's 45. Yeah. And he's not ready to be a husband or father at 45. yeah mm.
0: He wanted to be, but he didn't take it serious. So he thought it would be, I said, when are we planning to get married? We need to prepare everything. We need to plan everything. And he said, uh, why would we have a wedding? It's just like you wake up in the morning and you see yourself, my wife, imagine that happened already. So his mentality was different than my mentality.
1: Okay. By the way, you're. I don't know if you're, um, you're, not close to the speaker, but sometimes your voice comes in quietly. Now, I mean, already when you're telling me he's 45 and he's not ready, um, I'm not sure when do you think he's going to be ready? Do you think he'll ever be ready?
0: I'm not, to be honest, sure.
1: Okay, I Anyways, think...
0: when I left him, he kind of when When I left him for two months, he didn't even say anything, come back, whatever. But when he found out that I'm dating another, one, another guy, mm-hmm. he kept...
1: He's not a different because- person. He just realized he might lose you. So he doesn't want to have you and he doesn't want to lose you, which means he just wants to have you somewhere in between. And if that's right. not what you want, then you're not going to be happy with him if he doesn't want that. So as soon as he thought he might actually lose you, even you exactly. leaving the house and giving him the ring back, was not enough then he he still was okay until you started dating someone else Like, well, oh, i might actually lose her which is a problem now we also have to try to figure out why you want him he, he's 15 years older and also being very um distant from you or not really giving you what you want but you're saying you still are thinking of him
0: the problem is uh, i'm not sure why because uh I have lack of having father in my life. I like older guys. I don't know why I really love to be around him. I enjoy talking to him. I enjoy everything about him. But when it comes to life and thinking about my future and my children and everything, he's not the right fit. But I cannot just stop thinking about him. And he told me that he's been, you know, that two months or three months, whatever, that he had of like, the birth that he had, he realized how much he missed me, how much he, you know, I, he never pay, paid attention to me. Um, I wasn't his uh, priority. So he said that thing, like, I'm I'm different now. But I'm not yeah. sure if I should trust him. And I'm dating a new guy. A new guy is 37 years old. He has PhD. I have master's. Um, our job is almost similar. Like we have same goals and everything, but the problem is I don't, I don't see that person because I'm still in love with my ex, and I always want to find a way to go back to him.
2: Yeah, well, And
0: I don't it. want to give a chance to the new guy, even though this new guy is, is decent guy. So I don't know what to do. I'm ruining my current relationship, and I don't, I kind of love my ex, but I don't not, lo- I don't like the a- idea of living with him but i'm hoping that he's right and like he's, he's different
1: well i don't i don't know if you really hope he's different because even if he was different i think you would not be okay with it you might not be um okay to get as close as you think you do even the way he was i think you liked him being the way he was even if it made you unhappy because you were used to that you said your dad was not in your life mm-hmm. so So a few things. One is, I think you started dating this new guy too soon. Clearly, if you're saying you're still in love with your ex, we have to Mm -hmm. get past the previous person to move on. And we can't use a new person to move on. That doesn't work. And it's not fair to us or this new person. You can't Mm -hmm. change that now. But what you need to do is to figure out what happened in your past to not be keep living that past of trying to find a father rather than find a, a husband.
0: Just the feeling, I guess, just just the way that he, the way that he talks to me, or the way that he kind of like supports me, protects me. Like he's I I don't know how to describe this feeling, but the new is more fun, like closer to my age. It's totally different. He's the right person for my life, but. Yes, I dated him too soon because it happened. Like, I didn't want to date him. Someone referred me, and it, it was a good, you know. I kind of at him and, like, his visual memoir because obviously his education, his work, and everything looked, looked, looked really good. So I didn't want to miss this opportunity. But the, the problem is, like, whenever I go out with him, like, I kind of flashback memories, whatever, and he sees. That to me, like he's he's telling me that you didn't move on, and this is ruining our relationship. and he kind of got attached to me, poor guy, but I don't have the same
1: feeling towards him, well, I mean, it's only been two months. So if it's already he's attached, you guys have moved probably too fast into this too fast, yeah, anyway, but especially because you weren't ready, he's right, although I don't know why he wants to be in love with someone who's still in love with someone else. It's a really bad situation for him, too. What? Tell me about your relationship with your father. What happened with him?
0: Uh, um, they got divorced, like, about 10 years ago, but even though before that, I never uh, felt him. He wasn't, like, I didn't have a close relationship with my father, and he was more like like, and the third child. It's me and my sister, and he was like a third child in, in our house, so he wasn't really there for us like I couldn't I I don't know what father I I can say he was there he was living with us but he wasn't there
1: okay so you're saying he was like a third child but so he wasn't angry or abusive or anything like that
0: no nothing he was kind of uh, irresponsible and doing some silly thing that would a father wouldn't do that like not making a good decision like you couldn't, we couldn't really rely on him to make decisions, or mm-hmm. he wasn't working, he wasn't taking the life seriously. And I'm thinking, I'm exactly doing the same thing to myself, marrying with a guy, my ex, the same thing because my ex uh, wasn't really, you know, t- trying for his future or having the family or something. I think I'm just putting my foot in my mom's shoes. I don't want yeah. to be there, but the feeling-wise, I, I I don't know why I'm too attached to my ex, and I enjoyed it. Like, when I talked to him, I I did like butterflies. like I'm like a teenager.
1: Yeah, well, that's the problem is maybe it makes you feel like a teenager like when you were a kid, which was not a okay. good thing because that's how your dad made you feel. And this is why I was just actually talking about it in the previous segment, talking about the book, Uh, sometimes we think love is supposed to be this exciting thing and we're head over heels and, you know, Romeo and Juliet or whatever other story we hear about. And we think that's love. But a lot of times, especially for a lot of people who have a wounded childhood, as most of us do, it's actually the person that makes us feel that way is the worst person for us. So the reason why he feels so good to you, your ex, is because he reminds you of your dad, but That's not a good thing. He reminds you of the bad things about your dad. You're saying he was irresponsible and not giving you love and not really giving you attention. But because those things feel familiar to you, it feels like home to you. It feels like what you want or what you're supposed to have. But it's coming from your wounds of the past, not from something healthy in the present that is good right now. And so you're living out your childhood in an unhealthy way with this man, and you I think you know it's not going to end well. Yes, you're saying it mm-hmm. feels so good, and I'm I'm very uh, a big proponent of people thinking about their feelings and noticing them. But it doesn't mean our feelings make the decision because sometimes our feelings feelings will tell us the wrong thing. You being attracted to this man, it seems like you know he's probably hasn't changed, and he's just saying this because he doesn't want to lose you. And then if you come back soon enough, you'll have the same situation you had before. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is to go back and heal this childhood wound of wanting to have your dad, but realizing you're not going to have him now. You're going to have a partner. But until you get over what happened in your childhood, you won't get past that. Have you gone to therapy to to work on what happened in your childhood? No, never. Okay. I would highly recommend that. Because if you don't do that, you're going to keep... Trying to relive what happened in your childhood, which is to be with an older man, and not just an older man—an older man who maybe makes you feel taken care of in some ways, but really not, because he's not going to give you the emotional support, the attention you need. And even you say "taken care of," but you're saying he's not really focused on his career or his future. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how he's going to take care of you if he's not taking care of himself, even. But financially, I don't
0: need like support because I have a good job and I have my own income, but. But that makes sense because in future I'm going to have, like, we're going to have children and he needs to support them for sure. He needs to be
1: part of that. Well, and he doesn't, we don't, we don't think he even wants to have kids from what you're saying.
0: Yeah, but he says whatever you want
1: now. Yeah, but no, see, that's the thing. You don't want someone who will have kids because you want kids. You want someone who also wants to have kids because having children is a huge life-changing event or it better be. Now, some people think, okay, you want to have kids, have kids, they're your kids, and I'm not going to be that involved with taking care of them, but that's not going to make you happy, and that's not good for your kids or the family you're trying to create. So if he's saying, I'll just give you whatever you want, that's not the right answer when it comes to having children. You want someone who says, I want to have kids too, and I want to have kids with you, and I'm excited to start a family with you. Not, okay, if you want it, I guess we'll do that, so come back. Mm -hmm. Especially right now where he's saying anything just to get you back, it seems like more than telling you what he wants so uh, i would be very wary of that of giving into that. he's 45 and hasn't been married has he been married before no okay hasn't been married hasn't had kids you know that's a red flag
2: yeah
1: and you and the idea and Mm -hmm. the idea uh, let me just all say this a lot of people have they always will say well the person was this way but i thought when we got engaged and got married then they would get serious or they said they didn't want to have kids but i thought once we got married they'd want to have kids and we don't want to do that or expect someone is going to change. When someone tells us who they are, we want to believe them. Someone says, I don't want to have kids. They don't want to have kids. And if we try to go into a whole relationship hoping we'll change them, that's a problem. And even to begin with you and him, it seems like you know he's not the right person. But this butterflies you're talking about, this is an old feeling. This is coming back from your childhood. It's not because he's so right for you or because he's such a wonderful man or you guys are so in love. It's because he's actually the wrong person for you
0: so fair enough and the way that I'm growing my current relationship like what is that should I
1: should we go on a break and like, you, yeah and that's move that's on? yeah it's tough you know it's really hard because um, yeah I think definitely you shouldn't have started it but yeah we can't go and change that now mm-hmm. but I think it, you might need to end this and you can tell him he doesn't have to wait for you but that you have to heal what's going on for you now my concern is this though that if you end it with this current guy you're going to go back to the last guy because especially it seems like you don't like to be alone and so
0: no i wanted to get the disclosure from you i, I wasn't sure exactly what's right or wrong like i, I was talking to him and he said uh, call you he he suggested that mm-hmm. because first of all our relationship at the beginning when we had problems we didn't have anyone in between us but now i'm dating he's dating but we want to go back, like, get back together, but...
1: Wait, who told yes. you to call me? The 37-year-old or the 45? My
0: ex-wife. The 45-year-old. My 45 one. Okay. Yeah. Because he wants me back because he said, I cannot find anyone like you. No one is, you know, all those things, but we, initially when we met, we never had anyone in between us, but now he's dating, I'm dating, and we have to break up with our current one. And Wait, so your ex, the you ex know? is
1: dating also?
0: Yes, I I kind of because he was crying and begging me, and I told him you need to move on and you need to find someone and stop this. But first of all, as soon as I heard he's dating someone, I got jealous, which I don't
1: know why because it was my decision to... Well, doesn't no? Well, here's the thing. Actually, let me stop you there because a lot of times people say, well, if I miss the person, that means it must have been the right relationship. Not necessarily if you're with someone and then you break up with them even if it's your choice you don't like to hear about them dating someone else because you still will have feelings for them for a while and especially in this case you're saying you're you even think you're still in love with him so we expect that you're not going to like to hear he's dating someone now we don't want that to be the reason why you go and date him just like the reason why he seems to be so much wanting to change for you or saying he's changing is because he heard you're dating someone else this is not the right reason to be together this is not the right reason to to start a relationship and already your guys's relationship sounded really bad and not the right relationship okay. for lots of reasons so you know i want to talk to you a little bit more hang on the line let's talk after the break okay okay sure. all right you're listening to in session with dr we will be right back welcome back before the break we were with the caller let's go back to her now uh, caller are you still there yeah okay what did you figure out while we were gone
0: You know, make sure that getting back to my ex is a wrong decision. Yes. So I needed someone to tell me that.
1: Okay. Did you, th- so you but it, you it, already, it. did you already, oh, it's funny because he told you to call, but did you already think that yourself? No, I just called
0: him now in between and I said, did you because he was listening. Okay. And I said, it was, we were sure of getting back together. Like, even though I love him, or he kind of tell me that he loves me. But we, went, we didn't want to win our future, obviously. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that we are not making the wrong decision again. So obviously based on your recommendation and saying that the red flag or whatever, yes, I, I agree, and he's, a, he's, he's okay with that. So okay. getting back together is
1: not a good idea. Okay, good. Yeah, I, think, I mean, to me it seems like there's too many red flags. And there's a red flag, of course, him and, you know, We could talk about him, but obviously I'm talking to you. We need you to think about yourself and how you have to work on what's getting you into the situation you're currently in. And to create a different relationship, you're going to have to do some work because you're going to keep feeling attracted more likely to the wrong types of people. It's kind of funny because sometimes the person that we're not so so attracted to there has to be attraction both physical and more than that but sometimes that's a better person for us than the one that makes us feel all these crazy feelings that we think is love and Mm -hmm. that might be the situation you're in now i don't know if the the relationship you're in is going to be too damaged to start and if this person is going to be okay going forward the way things are and that's something you have to think about for yourself can you really start a good relationship this way i'm worried that it started in such a bad way, your current relationship, of, and it's only been two months, but it just seems like it started in the wrong place and the wrong timing that I'm not sure you're going to be able to have a healthy relationship with him.
0: He's aware of all those things. He's aware that because I told him I still have feelings for my ex, but he said, like I, I told him, can we break up or can we go on a break or something? I need some time to recover. I need to, some time to You know, go back and think about what I've done wrong and all those things. And he said, okay, go back and think about all all those relationships. Whenever you realize that your previous relationship was a mistake and you are not going back to that relationship 100%, so I'm there for you. like
3: i don't know why but he kind
0: of loved me in two months i don't know if
1: it's too scary (laughs) what's funny how you say that i don't know why he loves me but but i do get a little i mean i I get what you're saying because not because someone shouldn't love you but that if someone says i don't care if you have feelings for someone else i still want to date you that to me is very concerning
0: he didn't know that he got this after maybe one and a half months dating so I kind of, because sometimes I have mood joy. Uh, sometimes I'm so happy. Sometimes I'm so sad because, like, let's say we are going out to a restaurant that I used to go with my ex. I'm so happy, but when I go to that restaurant, obviously it's like flashback, all the memories come. So it changes my mood. I'm so down. I'm so sad. So he he gets that. And he he kind of told me, you are a stuff living in your past and you have luggage with you, when are you going to leave that? I told him, I don't know. I still have, like, I cannot lie to him because he, he obviously, he's not stupid. I said I still have feelings for my um, ex, mm-hmm. but that relationship was a mistake. Obviously, in that situa- situation, I decided to break up my engagement. Obviously, we were both like dear friend, we were engaged. So it was a big deal for me, returning my ring, but I made a decision based on what Whatever, whatever happened during our relationship. So if I'm missing something, if I'm missing him, whatever, maybe because I forgot what he did to me or made me unhappy, but dating you, is it was too early, and he's kind of angry on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of don't want to say no to him because we have so many things in common. Even our education, our work, you know, we are working for the same company. We didn't live in that company, but somehow it's just coincidence. Yeah, we are working for the same company, and he wants to have a family. He wants to have children. He keeps talking about future together. Oh, you know, he is the dreamer. He is the person I want. But I don't want him. Like I don't see his face. I I just picture my ex in his you know I, I want to see I want to when I touch him I want to touch my ex because I love his body I love his you know face I don't see that person I love his resume but
1: that yeah I, that's I mean what you're saying it's just you're definitely not ready to start with someone it's really not fair to this guy to uh-huh. to have him where you're thinking of your ex's body and your ex's face and everything it's, it's just not that's really not fair to him and um, to you also you can't start a relationship that way where really he's just serving as a replacement for someone else you you know you're just using him in in a way using him so i think as much as this guy might be a great guy on paper for you and maybe he is you are just not at all close to ready to start something and definitely two months ago was way too soon but nonetheless um how long? Wait. How long ago did you start dating this guy? Two
2: months ago. Two months, right? Broke up
1: four months ago. Oh, four months. Okay, but you just no. were not ready after a couple of months to to move on.
2: Not at
1: all. And no. I, I think your friends, and this is actually a comment I should make here, is a lot of times our friends think, "Well, oh, someone broke up and they're sad, so let me just introduce them to someone to make them happy," and that's not a lot of times the best thing at all because the person still has to heal the last relationship and move on. And when we have the mentality that if someone is sad, we have to do anything just to make them happy and anything that makes them happy is good. This is what where we end up, where you can say, well, you're sad because you feel like you miss your ex. So I'm going to make you go out with someone to cheer you up. That's not helpful. And of course, you made the decision to go. So I'm not just blaming your friend. You made the choice. So you're responsible <laughs> yeah. for that. But it's just as friends for us to remember that when people are sad, sometimes we have to allow for them to be sad because that's how they heal and they grow and they can move on. But if we think just because someone is sad, anything that makes them happy is good. And even for ourselves, if we're down just to think I have to cheer myself up and whatever that means, dating someone else, you know, doing a drug, doing this, doing that, no, that's not gonna be good for us. So you need time to heal what happened now with this ex. But then what you have to realize is what you're dealing with with your ex is going back from your childhood. So you have to heal those even deeper wounds that this is in a way exposing. And the real way you can do that is to go to therapy and be ready to go for a while. You don't not just go a couple of times. You have to go for months and even maybe, you know, a year or more than a year to really get into what's going on here so that you can actually be ready to have a relationship with someone. Now, I'm not saying you have to wait a whole year before you go on a Mm -hmm. date or date anyone. But I'm saying as far as the therapy goes, some people think you go a few times and things are going to get better. The, The stuff you're talking about is deeper than that. And you're going to keep getting attracted to the wrong kinds of men that's my concern because
0: my ex before my ex was 27 years older than me and the same the same thing same feeling same
1: situation so i i get what you're saying when you say same same situation that person also didn't want to commit
0: no i was like 18 19
1: i wasn't ready for marriage at all like in in a relationship i was attracted to older guys like so you were eight. You were eighteen, and he was forty-five. Mm, I was nineteen, and he was forty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. mean yeah. I think you can see that that's that's a problem. Yeah. And that attraction again. This is where you know when, what happens is we have a radar that makes us attracted to people, but when our childhood has these big wounds in it, that radar gets broken. We get attracted to the wrong things. So it's kind of like if you were our food, we have a radar, the things that makes things taste good to us. But for some people, poison will taste good to them. That's kind of what this is. You, It feels good. You think it's good. It it makes you feel like it's the right thing for you, but it's the most painful and hurtful thing. So your radar is broken. It's off. And until you go back and fix where it started from, you're not going to be able to be attracted to the right types of people and, and you'll start the wrong relationships. And in talking to you, it's interesting because logically, a lot of times we can understand something. I can tell you get it. You don't think as a 19-year-old you should have been dating a 45, 46-year-old man. But emotionally, something about it feels right. That's why even still you say, oh, it just feels right with this, the, the your ex, that you have butterflies mm-hmm. for him, that something attracts mm-hmm. you to him. So I want you to realize that thing that's attracting you to him it's not coming from a good place or it's not indicating that it's something healthy or beneficial. It's because your wound is attracting you. Just like someone who is an addict and you take away their drug, the thing that makes them feel the best in that moment is to give them that drug again, even though the drug is poison. So when we get used to something unhealthy, unfortunately that unhealthy thing can feel so right and good. And that's kind of where you are at. And so I think definitely go back or go to therapy and work on these things. And I think with this current relationship, it might be best to end things because I don't think you're in the right place at all, and it's not fair to him to be with someone in a way where you are thinking of someone else. Mm-hmm. That's just not good. Definitely. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Good luck. Thank
4: you. Yeah, right. Thank you. Take okay. care. Bye bye. Bye.
1: All right. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hola, Thanks so much
4: for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling. It's is uh, my daughter who's grade three. She's eight years old. Uh, mm-hmm. she uh, when she comes home from school, she has do anything,
1: but uh, homework. Sorry, we're having a hard time hearing you. Your voice is not coming in clear. Something about you said homework? I'm not sorry. I'm
4: sorry, I'm not gonna speak, but
1: it's a cell phone. Yeah. It, we're kinda of losing it's breaking in and out. Let me let me try you. Try again, let's see how it sounds.
4: Okay how
1: about now it's okay go ahead so you said you have an issue with your eight-year-old with her homework yes she um, um,
4: doesn't
1: you know it's really i'm maybe you could try calling back again because we're really not getting you clearly at all i'm really sorry yeah okay okay Okay, thank you okay let's go to another caller radio Hamra, you're on the air hi hello
3: hi uh i called last time yes i'm yeah, I'm 14. I'm an only child. I'm in 8th grade. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things I'm dealing with right now. Sure. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, I, have this, I have anxiety, and I've Googled it before, and um, I've had a lot of the symptoms. Like, I can't focus in class. I'm, like, insecure and things like that.
1: Hmm. Okay. So... And you, you said insecure. You feel like that's related to anxiety?
3: Yeah. I Well, I don't really know, but, I mean, per, every time I try to, like, um, avoid social situations. And oh. Even right now when I was calling, I was, like, really nervous.
1: Hmm.
3: Um, I don't know why, but... And then I Google it, and it says that's a sign of anxiety.
1: Yeah, it could be a sign of, um, you know, there's lots of types of anxiety, of a social anxiety. Uh, of course, calling in... At whatever age, and especially at 14, a lot of people will probably feel nervous doing that. So that itself, I wouldn't say, means you have to have social anxiety if you're feeling nervous now. But if in social situations you realize you feel nervous or you yeah. avoid certain things, that could definitely be a sign of social anxiety. Okay, so yeah, so tell me more about that. How, how do you feel like you express this or have this social anxiety when it comes to either school or social engagements?
3: So in school, like, I'm usually quiet. I have a couple friends, you know, I'm myself around, but usually my mom, she tries to, like, get me to become friends with her her friend's children, and I just, I always try to, like, avoid it because either they're a little older and they're, like, more, like, um, they're more outgoing, and I just, I try to avoid going anywhere where, like, anyone that I don't know is there because I'll just, like, hide because... I don't Hmm. feel comfortable talking to them.
1: Do you feel a pressure from your mom to, like, make friends with these people? Yeah,
3: she always always talks to me about it and says how I always, like, cut friendships with everyone and I can't make friends. And she always tells me that.
1: Well, I mean, I, I want your mom to care about your social life and to even support you. But I don't want her to force you to make friendships or to put you in these situations you don't want to be in. And when I talk to parents, I do... Tell them that you want to try to find a balance that if you, like, you know, for example, if you're not making an effort to make friends, I don't want your mom to never put you in a situation you don't want to be in, but we don't want to push you too hard where it makes you more uncomfortable or feel even worse. So it's finding that balance where she can support you and encourage you, but not make you feel super uncomfortable where it's going to make it even harder. So, look, we started our conversation late in a segment. We're going to go to a commercial now, but after the break, we'll talk some more about this insecurity or social anxiety that you're feeling and some things you might be able to do about it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi luck We will be right back. Welcome back before the break. We were with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there?
2: Yeah.
1: All right. So you were talking before the break, you're 14 years old and you're dealing with some what you might think is or you think it might be social anxiety yeah Um, and so tell me are there things you feel insecure about
3: yeah um so like um about about my culture and my religion i always try to hide it at school and not Mm -hmm. tell people because i feel like people will see me in a certain way and it just it feels like if i feel really embarrassed if someone even mentions or asks where i'm from that's Mm -hmm. always been something
1: yeah. Well, I remember feeling that way, too, um, with a name like Farid, and they couldn't really say it, so I'd say Farid or say it in other ways. So I remember feeling that way, and I also now remember you saying this last week when you called, that this uh, you feel a little bit insecure about this. But from what I remember, you said no one has outwardly made fun of you or made you feel bad about it, right?
3: Well, I mean, like... um Sometimes in schools, you know, kids make little comments about it. Mm. But it's—I know it's not a big deal for them. But to me, it just in the moment, it feels like the worst thing.
1: Yeah. So, what? So, some—they have made some comments before, but nothing yeah. like you would call like bullying or anything extreme. No, no. Okay. But it still makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Very. Okay. Have you been able to make some friends at your school?
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. And I mean. Like friends, that like close friends you stay in touch with, you make plans with. Or um, I have
3: one close friend that I'm like close with, and she doesn't go to my school anymore, but we still keep in touch. Mm-hmm. I have like friends at school, but we're not like that close. It's just we talk in class and stuff, mm-hmm. and like you know, normal. Okay. Nothing too close.
1: Sure. And have you uh, w- w- making friends? Has that some? Has that been something you've always had a hard time with, or was it easier when you were younger? No
3: was younger i was actually a lot more outgoing
1: mm-hmm.
3: it hasn't been that i mean i went to a new middle school this year and it was hard at first but eventually you know i made friends it wasn't that hard but just a lot of times when i try to like talk to new people who i think maybe like in some way they're better than me it just it feels it feels i feel like i'm being really embarrassed
1: mm. when you when you say you think they're better than you like how are they better than you
3: um maybe like they're older, or in my head I think they have more friends, or they're more popular, or something like that.
1: Hmm. Well, and
3: I feel like they're judging my every move, I don't
1: know. Yeah, Yeah, then it, unfortunately these things become like a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if you think they don't think you're cool, or they're whatever, they have more friends than you, then if you get more nervous, then you're probably going to act a certain way that makes it harder for you to become friends with them, and then you confirm what you thought from the beginning, even though it wasn't true. And that's kind of like the good news and the bad news. The bad news is you think that these people are better than you, but the good news is you're wrong because they're not actually better than you, but that's something in your own head that you think is true. So it's not actually that these people are better than you, it's just how you feel in that moment. And again, when you think that way, then you're going to act in that way, and then it kind of becomes true. Like if you think you're not cool enough to be their friend, you're going to act in a way that makes it seem like you don't want to be their friend or you're going to get nervous and act in a certain way where they probably won't be your friend. And then you say, see, they didn't want to be my friend. They're cooler than me or they have more friends or whatever it might be. So um, these things can be hard to change because in your head, it probably feels very real when it's happening. Like if you get nervous or you're anxious in that moment, it feels very real. But I want you to at least have this thought that, okay, it could just be something I think it might not be the reality that These people are better than me in some way. It's just something that I'm feeling in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to change those kinds of things. So you said when you were younger, you felt less this way?
3: Yeah, I did. I was more, I talked to people all the time and I didn't really hide as much as I do now. Mm -hmm. I would always be outgoing and
1: just... Okay so before it was not as much because and middle school changing middle schools is not easy and also when we um, become teenagers sometimes we can have more of these kinds of feelings like a lot of times people when they get older too, but especially in teenagers they can have something we call the spotlight effect, which is this concept that we think everyone is looking at us. So that's why like when we have, a pimple we think if we walk into school like the whole school is going to stop and look at that pimple like they all care but really no one cares that much but that feeling comes up that people are looking at us more or scrutinizing us a little bit more and that can make us more anxious or nervous or think more about our insecurities or whatever else it might be other than your culture and religion is there anything else you feel like you get uncomfortable about about yourself not really okay so that's good so it's not like and you know, that is enough if you're already feeling uncomfortable, but there's nothing else that can be good. And the fact that you used to have an easier time tells us that we know you can be more comfortable, but lately you haven't felt as comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is, I know you said you were more outgoing before, but sometimes some people are more introverted. Have you heard about being an introvert versus an extrovert? So you might be more of an introvert, meaning that you like to have... More one on one conversations than to be the center of attention and talk to a whole group. Or when you go somewhere, it takes you a little bit of time to feel comfortable before you start to talk or socialize or get more comfortable with everyone there. And it's unfortunately a lot of times we think that being an introvert is bad and being an extrovert is good. And especially a lot of times parents can make kids feel this way like you need to be outgoing, you need to go talk to everyone, you have to become a public speaker. But really, that's not the case. People are different, they have different personalities and you can be more introverted. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can be very happy and have good relationships if that's the case. So that's another thing I want you to keep in mind that maybe you are a little bit more on the introverted side, which is okay. Now, if you're introverted and you have social anxiety, that can mean that you're going to be even more, have more difficulty making friends. And that's what we want to look at, what we can change with that is there anything you want to do like do you want to have more friends at your school but you're having a hard no. time doing that no I, I'm
3: I'm, happy like with the group of friends okay. I have which isn't that many but something my mom keeps always she always tells me this is why I think it's true and she always tells me I always like cut friendships with people because I can't make friends with the people she wants me to and well, so she always tells me Um, I keep cutting friendships
1: but see that's you know the the important part in what you said to me was that the people she wants you to be friends with you know I mean I think friendship is something you choose your friends because you like them and then love them and you know feel like you have things in common or whatever it might be but your mom shouldn't be choosing your friends for you
3: yeah but she thinks um the friends I have at school aren't like um, they're not like they're not good friends
1: when it's actually like it's not a, like that at all. Okay, why does she think they're not good friends?
3: She thinks because she, if she sees me on my phone texting she, um, she thinks like it's bad and she thinks they're like kids who don't care about their grades or like they don't like they're not responsible or anything when it's it's actually not like that at
1: all. Yeah. So because you're texting she thinks that your friends are a bad influence? No, she
3: I'm texting and oh. maybe
1: she misinterpreted it. Okay. And she just goes on from there. Can you give me an example if you're comfortable sharing it?
3: Um, so like I'm talking about someone and maybe the language she texted me in wasn't completely appropriate and mm-hmm. she sees that.
1: Okay. She misinterprets it. Yeah, and then she thinks these are bad friends and then I yeah. have good friends for you that have never used profanity or bad words before. Yeah. For you. Yeah, okay. Well, I think, you know, It's very important that you get to make your friends and your mom uh, should not be choosing them for you and putting this pressure on you to make friends and to tell you, I know the better friends for you. And the friends she has in mind are the kids of her own friends?
3: Yeah, she knows the
1: families and everything. She's like, these are healthy families and everything's (laughs) great yeah okay so um she feels like she's vetted the family so she knows who's better for you to be friends with yeah. uh, well i i think well what do you think about that do you agree with her or do you feel like you don't agree I, with
3: i her? honestly don't most of the people yeah. she wants me to talk to actually one of them goes to my school she's like she has a lot of friends and my mom really wants me to become friends with her she's like she can come over you know we can set up play dates and all that And. She's just a really outgoing person that I normally wouldn't really talk to because mm-hmm. I was afraid or anything, but she just keeps pressuring me
1: about it. Yeah, I think that's a problem because, you know, it does sound like your mom has this idea. First of all, I know the families, but also because this girl has a lot of friends and is outgoing, then that's going to influence you to be more outgoing or have more friends in the way that maybe your mom thinks is the right way to be. But again, if you're happy with your social life and, The friends you have and the network of friends you have, that's what matters most, not what even I think or what your mom thinks about the number of friends you have. And especially the people you choose to be friends with, that's totally up to you. Now, if you're really getting into some trouble and really doing some bad things, which doesn't seem to be the case at all, um, then yeah, maybe I could see your mom wanting to intervene. But it doesn't seem like that's anything close to what's going on. And in that case, I think you should get to pick who you're friends with and your mom putting this pressure on you is going to make you feel just more uncomfortable socially rather than more comfortable.
3: Yeah, but that's the thing um she she th- um she thinks this is one of the reasons why I've been kind of um kind of aw- awkward socially lately. And one of the other things she always talks to me about is how I always bite my nails and I play with my hair. Mm-hmm. And I and it's just I constantly bite my nails and she doesn't like that and she thinks this is all leading to bigger things.
1: Well, how do you, how do you feel about you biting your nails?
3: I know, I know it's bad. Okay. It's just,
1: it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a bad habit and it might sure. be a sign of something, but I'm not sure. Well, it's, it's usually a sign of anxiety. Almost always is going to be the case. But even the way when I asked you, you defended yourself. I get the feeling you're, you get a lot of flack from your mom about this or she makes you feel bad about it. So I don't think biting your nails is good or I want you to bite your nails. But if I hear or if I see you biting your nails, that tells me, oh, you're anxious. And so let's look at the anxiety you know let's see what's going on and if there's something we can do to help you or figure out what's happening but not just make you feel bad about the biting your nails part because that's kind of like a symptom of something that's underneath which is how you're feeling you know
3: yeah and something she wanted me to mention um my dad has anxiety and my uncle has something called schizophrenia schizophrenia I think. And, okay yeah and yeah. she thinks that might be an effect of why i have anxiety
1: it could be definitely anxiety, like all psychological issues has a genetic component to it. So if your dad has that, and then if your uncle has schizophrenia, that could mean that you have other things in your genes that can make you more predisposed. It's not like if you have it in your genes, you have to have something, but you could be more predisposed to certain things. So it's something you know to think about um, that these issues could affect you, or it could be in your genetic background and could affect you. But again, I don't want to look at you as someone who has a like you're a problem and the way you talk about how your mom talks about certain things is it makes you i feel like it's in a judging kind of a way rather than understanding you so yeah you might have anxiety and that's difficult to deal with and makes things hard for you and i would want to see what we can do to help you one thing would be potentially going to therapy um to have someone to talk to have you ever done that before
3: no but my mom was considering um she wanted me to ask um is it is it fine to do therapy over the phone? Because the therapists around us, we don't really know anyone well and if they're good or not.
1: So I usually, you know, it's, it's it can sound ironic because I'm talking to you on the phone right now, but what we're doing, yeah. although it's similar to therapy and has some of the same themes, it's not exactly the same thing as therapy. Yeah. I always prefer face-to-face. Now, if you really have no choice, I think it can be good for people who don't have access to care or access to someone who, let's say, speaks their language. But in general, I think... Face-to-face is always better because you get to build that connection and relationship with them. So I'm not sure where you are or um, what the limitation is, but I would say try some people that you could see face-to-face first. And then if you really find no one, then you can go for the other options like over the phone or Skype or whatever it might be. But try to find someone face-to-face first. That would be my recommendation.
3: Yeah, there are people if um there are here there probably is but um she thinks none of them and i kind of agree none of them really understand our like iranian lifestyle which is different from the american lifestyle so she wants someone who really understands it
1: might it might be you know it is you know having a cultural match is good now there might be someone iranian close by or in the the area you might be able to find. So I would look for that. But I wouldn't say it's it's a necessity, especially because were you born in the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. So you yourself and, yeah, your family is Iranian. So it does impact your family and you even have, you know, Iranian background. But still, I wouldn't say it's a necessity. And I would say because of that, you should definitely find someone over the phone that you can talk to um, rather than having a face-to-face therapist, which to me, allows you to build a much stronger relationship and that's what's really going to help you so i would say that would be my suggestion and um you know i think your mom more than is your mom listening no okay but if she does get to listen later on because i will upload the show because i feel like there's lots of things that are coming up where maybe she's getting too involved with your life and getting making the decisions for you and being overbearing and trying to control things or make you feel bad about certain things or saying you should be more this way or friends with this person or even implying you should be like this person because she's more outgoing. I don't know if she actually makes you feel that way but in some of what you were saying it almost sounds that way that she wants you to be a certain way and I don't want you to feel bad about being who you are. Now if you're feeling anxious or unhappy, I think it's good for you to get help so you feel better. I don't want you to feel bad, but I want you to also feel good about who you are and being the way you are. So if you're more introverted than other people or even more introverted than how your mom is, maybe your mom is a very social person that likes to be in social gatherings a different way than you do, that's okay for you to be that way. It's okay for you to be different in that way. So that to me is very important, especially one of the first words you used when we talked today was insecure and i hope you can get more confident and comfortable with who you are and that that can be okay if you're different than what she wants or expects and she shouldn't make you feel that way so it's also something for you to think about with her and maybe i'm happy i got to talk to you last weekend today but if another time when you call you can even call with her because i think a lot of what's going on is because of you and her it's not just about you we
3: always argue and we can't really agree on things because We both have a little
1: bit of a temper, and it's been an issue. Yeah, so things can get explosive. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why, you know, I mean, I'm very happy to get to talk to you, and I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about. But it might be good to, to think about calling with her, and also if you go to therapy at some point dealing with the issues you have, you and her together, and she might say, well, the therapist won't understand Iranian families, and there's some of that. Culture definitely plays a part. But if there's some things that are not okay in the ways you guys communicate, the therapist can help you and help you guys resolve some of those issues too. But for me, a very big thing in talking to you and hearing what you're saying is that you keep getting these subtle messages that you shouldn't be this way or you shouldn't bite your nails or you shouldn't do this. And that is gonna make it harder for you to feel better about yourself. And a lot of times parents will do this. They'll say, well, I want my kids to be more confident or be more comfortable in social situations, but they keep saying some negative things either directly or indirectly that actually makes the person not feel as good and makes it harder for them to feel good about themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: definitely.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I would definitely suggest talking to her about seeing a therapist. I think seeing someone in your area that you can talk to face to face will be better than over the phone or Skype or whatever it might be, but, um, see what you guys can do with that. Okay. Okay. Nice talking to you.
2: Thank you. All
1: right. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Oh, hello, Radio.
4: Sorry. <laughs>
1: hello,
4: there, <laughs> okay. Dr. Holak, I'm sorry. It's about my daughter who's just eight years old, um, and uh, she's a grade three. She uh, rattles to do anything when she comes home. Uh,
1: done uh, her homework Mm -hmm. so we had you on before uh, i'm glad you were able to call back okay so yes you have your eight-year-old daughter and she'd prefer doing anything but homework
2: yes
1: it sounds like she understands things i'd probably rather do anything but homework too but sometimes we have to do it so the fact that she likes doing other things we can understand um, but obviously we want to try to help her to do her work okay so uh, is she actually not finish her homework or has this become a struggle between you and her to get her work done?
4: It's, uh, the thing is, she actually doesn't have um, an actual work homework that she has to do every day. It's only that her um, teacher, she said, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an application that she has on her uh, tablet that she, she, it's, it's better to, for her to do um, an, a, a math
0: Mm-hmm. And um,
4: an English, uh, an English part of that application every, every night. It's not like she has to do it every, every night, but it's uh, recommended by her teacher. So it's more and for practice, my,
1: like kind it's of like a supplemental. so okay, all right.
4: Yes, it's kind of practice. And beside that, she has to do, uh, but uh, she uh, she she has to do her um, spelling test mm-hmm. and twenty minutes of reading for me. So this is uh, this is all it is and because uh, she heard her teacher that she said um, it's, it's good for them to do this thing uh, uh, the application she meant mm-hmm. she every, every, she she says um, it's, it's not necessary she did she didn't tell me she did not tell me to do it um, uh, every day so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it Mm-hmm. that's her reaction to it and then um, she had to go on her tablet and play or watch um, YouTube or uh, Netflix and I um, I said okay so you don't want to do the math and English part, and well? then um, okay then you're going to have to do your reading but because that's necessary and you're going to have to do your uh, um, study. Mm-hmm. but she said no I'm, uh, first I'm going to play so it's been like a, like a month or two that she says, uh, um, okay, I'm going to do my tablet first because she has a set time, an hour and a half, that she can use her tablet every day when she comes home from school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she, she had us to do that. I said, okay, you, you can do that. And then uh, when you finish, you're going to have to do this. Uh, if that's your plan, she says yes. But then after tablets, she doesn't do it. She doesn't do it. She goes, um, plays with her brother or plays with her toys. And then um, even I, I tried for one week, every night I told her two times that, only two times. I mean, the, the reason that I'm emphasizing is I don't want you to think that I'm uh, one of those ones that mm, uh, pushes her so much. Um, and that's only because I listen to your to your, um uh, programs and your dad uh, she when she doesn't she doesn't do it I, I say what it's your choice it's your spelling test you want it's your mark what if you don't want to try it's, it's okay for, for for a whole one week she didn't do it and every every day after I told her okay so this you realize that this doesn't work because you're doing your tablet first. And then after that, you're playing with your brother and you get busy with other things and it's sleeping, eating and a sleeping time. So you didn't get to do your any any of your homework. So how do you want to plan your day again today? And then she goes, okay, maybe I don't do the tablet today. I just do the play and then I do homework and then tablet. But it's still, that, that plan of her doesn't work again, obviously, because uh, I know that, um, as you said in the beginning, There's something inside her that she really doesn't like to sit down and um, do her homework. Well,
1: I didn't say there's something Uh, in her. I said all of us prefer to have fun than to do the harder thing. So exactly. uh, Yeah. So I mean, that's it's not something just in her. Like because even in hearing you say that, it's like you're thinking I have this kid who has this big problem or who doesn't understand this. You know, all of us would prefer to do something fun, but we do want to help her. She's still young, eight. So we can't just say it's completely up to her as in we don't have any role to play, but we do want to make it more that she wants to do something or she sees the benefit in it because to make it a battle is not going to work, where it's because you want her to do it that she gets it done. We know that's not going to work even in the short term, but especially long term. Uh, You said she has a brother. How old is he? He is
4: 18 months.
1: Okay, so there's a new baby. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Just me to tell you something because of um, because I did not want to leave my my eighteen my, my one year when he was one year old I didn't want to leave him at a daycare I quit my job um, and I'm now working uh, at a um, gym and um, taking care of other people's kids bringing my own kids. Uh, to the play area, and I'm taking care of all of them. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe half of the week when she's, when she's coming from school, she's coming to this play area, which is full of toys, and most of the time there are other kids as well, and they bring their own tablets, they bring their homework, and um, there are other babies and kids as well. Um, just want to tell you the, how the situation is.
1: Mm-hmm. So and when you're there, you're telling her to do her homework?
4: When, when I'm there, I, what I did, um, that I am that I was going to ask you if it's the right thing or not, I said, so you refuse to do your homework, there won't be any tablet time for you. Whenever you finish your homework, um, then you can have tablets.
1: Well, here's the uh, thing. She, in in so hearing he, what you just he, said, really, yeah. But it, coming back, you know, because of what you're saying with your work, this, you know, first of all, there's a new baby. I mean, not so new, yeah. year and a half. And, you know, so, yeah. but still. And then she comes to work and she sees you with all these other kids so I'm sure that's had an effect on her has she shown you anything like a jealousy with these other kids or like an anger towards you
4: she does she, yeah. since the beginning she always has had the anger towards me so this is not something new with her okay and sometimes it's more sometimes it's less but um, yeah she always had it and she always have have had this attitude of uh, not liking uh, to do the right thing.
1: Well, the right thing sounds very strong, but okay, like to do her work maybe, or, you know, she's eight years old, so um, we don't have to work.
4: She doesn't, when she was five, she refused to do her, you know, uh, brush her teeth.
1: But, you know, okay. but we have to be aware of just it's not because you have a kid who doesn't like doing certain things and look at the pressure we might be putting on her, because even in hearing you talking about it or that you're so concerned about her homework, I'm not saying we shouldn't care. But at eight years old, I get the sense that you put a lot of pressure on her or you make these things too intense where it might make her avoid it more likely than want to do them. They're not as pleasurable as they are something that has to be done, or if you don't do it, it's bad, and we have to do the right thing, and we got to do these good things, or else something really bad happens. That pressure is going to make her less likely to want to do things. These things don't become enjoyable anymore. They become more of a chore or more something that's going to make her feel anxious. So... I want you to take a step back and rather than thinking my daughter is this angry child or my daughter is this lazy child or my daughter doesn't like doing the right things and think about what kind of environment am I creating for her that might make her feel these things. What have I done that makes things not seem as enjoyable and seem more as a chore and something, you know, with too much pressure on it? Why is my child angry at me? Not just I have an angry child. We have to try to understand how have we created what's going on and not just look at her and so we have this stance of curiosity of trying to understand okay if my child is angry at me it's not just because I've been given an angry child what have I done that makes her angry or what have I done or what's going on in the family or in the home that might make her angry at me or show this kind of anger and when you tell me you're working with all these kids of course all most kids are really going to dislike that and they see you telling all these kids what to do or playing with them and then you come tell her what to do she's like I don't want to hear what you have to say forget what you have to say i'm going to do whatever i want um so i i want you to think about what you're doing that's also contributing to this not just my daughter is this way as if she just came out of the sky and is exactly what she is today
4: that's true i know it's a lot of a lot has been gone has gone through her life um that um a lot of them like Trauma. Traumas happened in her life as well.
1: Like what kind of traumas?
4: Her father passed away Hmm. when she was three and a half, um, and I got married and the new baby, and I was working full time. Uh, I left her at daycare, so uh, all those things that and I didn't have enough um, um, support. Knowledge. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, all those things I am aware of now. But I can't let her not brush her teeth that night. No, no, I'm not or saying', I'm,
1: I'm not saying we we, you know, obviously, my heart breaks to find out, and of course, you went through a lot too, but that you know, this young girl lost her father at three and a half. and but it doesn't mean because that we say she's off the hook to do anything for the rest of her life and we just feel bad for her, of course, not because we want her to do the good things because they're good for her, not because we want to punish her or make her work hard, but we know that's actually going to be good for her. But also we don't want to ignore it because we can't just say, well, I don't want to say she doesn't have to brush her teeth, but we still have to have the context of what this girl has been through. And so many, of course, the loss of her father, very traumatic, very traumatic, but then even you getting remarried and that's a huge change and then having another baby that's a huge change. And then when you're working in this kind of environment with other kids, my guess is she doesn't feel like she has enough love and and enough of your love. But of course, she doesn't have her father. So all she has is you and you're spread pretty thin. So her Thank being mad know, at my... you. Yeah. Her being my... mad at you, I understand. And her being even, sometimes when a child loses a parent, they don't understand. Even anger is a common experience in grief. Actually, it's part of the grieving process. They often can have anger even towards that parent because to her her dad left her even though it was a death but still to a kid it can feel like they were left by this parent and so they can have abandonment issues and and all sorts of different things
4: i think she has she has the abandonment yeah I, i see it i see it in her but all i do is to help her and um i feel like i'm Every time I'm crashing into a cement that mm-hmm. she doesn't let me to um, go through her you know she doesn't let me to help her with um, and if um, I'm not making a lot of money with this work if it if you think I can explain my son as well if you, you if you think that it's not a good work for my um, daughter and son I can because I'm not It's just the grocery money that I'm making there. Okay. Um, I'm not saying necessarily you have to stop.
1: I'm not saying it has to be the wrong job or you should definitely stop. I just want you to be aware of that. And also something you just said of she doesn't let me get through to her. And I understand, you. again, you must have went through a lot too to lose your husband uh, when you have a young child. And just losing your husband, period, is difficult and everything that you've had to go through and dealing with your child and what she's going through, I get that that's difficult. And also I want you to recognize that when your child is suffering or your child is, let's say, having a hard time with her homework, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. So even when I was saying, let's look at the effect of what's going on. And the reason why I'm saying that is one, so you don't feel guilty, but also so that you don't make her feel this pressure, which a lot of times parents do, of when you act out or when you don't do something good it makes me think I'm a bad mom or a bad dad and then we can get angry at the kid for making us feel that way. Well, you're not being a bad mom or dad uh, when your kid is doing something wrong. And in this case, when your child has gone through so much, we can understand she's going to have some pain. And even what you're describing so far, this is nothing huge. You know, she's not doing her homework sometimes. Okay, that's that's okay. If that's our biggest issue, great. I hope that's the biggest issue we're dealing with is that she's not doing her homework or has a hard time, um, you know, doing not procrastinating if you want to call it that or not getting swept up in playing tablet or doing anything else. If that's the biggest problem you're dealing with, this is great. We should be really happy. So we're at a commercial break and I want to talk to you some more, but okay. just hang online and we'll talk in a few minutes, okay? Okay, sure. All I right. hold on. Thank you. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatter Lock. We will be right back. back before the break we were with the caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there yes
4: so, yeah.
1: okay so we're talking about your eight-year-old daughter and uh, your concerns about her getting her work done or um, wanting to do other things rather than doing the quote-unquote right thing and before the break i mentioned something important for me in hearing you talk i feel a, a, a stress and anxiety and how you're talking about things about your child, which of course you you care about her, but I'm concerned that because of the way you said, I can't, she won't let me break through to her, or in a way she won't let me help her, uh, that you take it personally when she does not do the quote unquote right thing, or when she still seems to be in pain or suffering. But we have to recognize her losing her father at three and a half years old, just like you losing your husband at the time, is not something that is just going to, disappear or that she's ever going to fully get over doesn't mean she can't have a wonderful life but that's always going to be there that pain and that trauma is going to have an effect and we have to to accept that it's going to be there
4: so what can I do Dr. Farid because uh, when I see that she's really bright she's really um, when I go talk to her teacher she tells me that um uh, she's 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 bright. I can't really remember um, her exact words, mm-hmm. but um, she she meant she meant was uh, smart. In mm-hmm. another um, word, she said that. But the thing is, um, she she does not like to do um, the things that she has to do that um, a normal girl would do. You know, that's mm-hmm. what is. Uh, Uh, bothering me how can I uh, how can I just because um, I'm doing everything that I can uh, to to have to make her feel like um, make for make her feel like um, uh, this is this is um, the world we are living in this is what we have to do this is the thing that has to be done and um, and as you said uh, this uh, I'm telling her the future um, that if she doesn't do it do these things, and things will happen that you—it's not um, um, enjoyable. I'm, same same thing as if, if you don't brush your teeth, um, hmm. if you're gonna have cavity. Same thing if you don't—if you don't do your enough study uh, and your homework, um, uh, gradually you're gonna be behind with your class. Maybe not now, but in a couple of years. And I don't want that for you because you are a bright girl. You you know what you need to be to do. I I talk to her on all these things, mm-hmm. and she she knows that, but still she doesn't do the things that um has to get done. So, it, but you know, even so, her clothes, she doesn't yeah. she doesn't put them in the in the right place. She takes them off takes them off and she throws them. Um, On the
1: floor. I know, but I'm 36 and I still sometimes don't put my clothes in the right place. So I don't want us to get too, you know, those kinds of things. I get that it's, you want to talk to her and help her with those things, but it doesn't mean this is something really bad that she doesn't put her clothes in the right place. And I wouldn't go to the tactic of scaring her so much with the school you're going to be behind and this is going to be a problem. We want to see if we can make any of it more enjoyable for her that learning is fun that what are some subjects she likes and how can we make it fun and even in the way you talk about these things and it could just be because you're talking to me about it and in a way complaining about what's going on or expressing the problems but everything seems very almost dark yeah intense and dark it doesn't seem pleasurable it doesn't seem like oh it's so fun to read this book I'm interested to see what happens in this book not, you have to read for 20 minutes exactly today because that's what's going to keep you on track so you don't fall behind other students and you do enough of your work. That's going to make it very, uh, like you said, intense, but it doesn't make it enjoyable. We're, we're squeezing the joy out of these things and, and the joy out of life. In general, yourself, how do you feel? Are, do you consider yourself a happy person?
2: No,
1: okay. no.
2: no, definitely
1: not. Well, so that's, that's what I'm feeling, and that's something... You know, I think Eric Fromm says this in The Art of Loving, which I already mentioned once today, but he talks about that a mother having a zest for life is one of the biggest gifts she can give to the children, to show that the world is a fun place, is a happy place, is exciting, there's enjoyment, there's pleasure, there's all these wonderful things that has such a huge impact on the child. But when the mother and father, of course, too, but mother usually having even a closer relationship has... Uh, it could be even a depression, but doesn't feel good about life and the world, the kids feel this. And so, okay, what's the point? Why should I do this boring things? Why don't I at least enjoy what I can enjoy? Why not have fun when I can? Why would I do something boring, especially when it's presented to me in such a boring kind of a way, like a chore. So we have to be aware of how you're feeling. And this is why I think it's so important for parents to not just focus on their kids, but look at themselves. If you are feeling depressed, your child is going to be hugely affected by that, especially in the case of your daughter who only has one biological parent. You're the only one. And maybe your husband now tries to play the role of stepfather, but that never can replace what she's lost. So you really have to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Well, I would try, but,
4: I mean, I I, I I try to do that, but life is like, um. Life is difficult, right? Life is difficult.
1: I'm not saying, when I say even enjoying life, doesn't mean that we uh, pretend like it's not difficult. Life is difficult and what you've gone through and what she has gone through with her father is, is extremely difficult and more than most people have to deal with. So I'm not trying to tell you, I want you to have a fake outlook on life that everything is positive and everything is good, but we can still be content with life even in a difficult life. So I'm not saying we have to enjoy every moment and everything is good, but our overall feeling and outlook can be one more of contentment and happiness, not that we have to be happy all the time, but overall we can have more of that sense. And we want to give that to our kids that things are fun and exciting, that learning is fun. We get to learn things. It's so exciting to learn something new and I can't wait for you to explain it to me or to understand it or whatever else it might be rather than you better study or else you're going to fall behind you know even that outlook has like a negative feeling towards it just to avoid the pain or avoid this horrible outcome you have to go study not because it's fun to learn and it's enjoyable to do things and you feel good when you do the right thing and all those kinds of things about how the good part of it a lot of times i feel like you're bringing up the negative and that's not going to work for most people being motivated in that way but especially a young child if you're telling her you better study or, or and especially in the future You better study or you're going to fall behind in two years. Almost no kid is going to get motivated by that. Even adults don't get motivated by that. You can tell people if you keep smoking, you're going to get cancer. Most people don't stop smoking really because of that. You tell people your teeth are going to turn yellow this week, they might stop smoking more than what's going to happen in a few years. Even we're talking about death in this case. So to think because she understands that studying means she won't fall behind, she should do it, really I don't think that's connection is going to lead to or translate to her taking that action but I I think it's more important for her to feel excited about these things or enjoy some of them but it's very important for you to feel that way too and if you're still
4: um, how would, sorry, uh, yes how would I make her feel enjoyable? Make you feel fun and excited about um, going on an application
1: and do her mathematics. Well, if she enjoys... I don't know what subject she does enjoy or if she does enjoy anything. Or even the way I would talk to her would be more expressing empathy. Even if she says, I want to be on my tablet. So, yeah, it's so fun to be on your tablet. I know you enjoy it so much. Do you think it's also good if we do some math sometimes? Or what, what do you think we should do? You know, even from this age, even younger, I always advise parents to come up with the boundaries and the rules and the things of the home especially when it comes to the kid with them so would you like to do this sometimes maybe she'll say never okay that'll put you in a tough spot maybe she'll say sometimes i i'm okay doing it sometimes and also we want to look at is there any anxiety she has because when you put this pressure on her then there is a pressure of i got to get it right i got to do the right thing which makes her more likely to avoid something and so something else in hearing you talk that came to my mind in saying that she's bright and she's brilliant and smart and, and she might be, and that's obviously good. But we want to focus more on the growth mindset rather than the fixed mindset. So not, oh, you're smart, so you, it's good for you to study, or you're so smart, that's why you got a good grade. But you worked hard, that's why you got a good grade. And working hard is more important than just being good. And we want to emphasize that. But she might feel a lot of pressure if I better get a good grade on this. And when you feel that way, you sometimes will avoid doing it. Most procrastination or one of the biggest causes is anxiety. And if someone has that pressure that I have to get a good grade on this, they're more likely to avoid trying at all or doing the thing altogether. So I want you to be aware of the ways you're putting pressure on her and how that pressure, one, takes the enjoyment and fun out of these things. But also adds to the anxiety she's gonna feel in getting these things done, so she'd rather distract herself and do something else.
4: Yes, that's true, but I don't I don't have any other tools, like I don't have any any other way to get her to do the things that she needs to do. But that's
1: what I want you to, you know, in some way remove this idea that your job is to get her to do the things she needs to do. In, in a way, you will have to do that, but not to make that your primary focus, because a lot of times parents, they get caught up in these routines where the whole thing is if my kid finished their homework and put it in their folder, I was a good mom or dad that day. And even if they have to yell or use different tactics or whatever they have to do, because we can get so fixated on things getting done, which is important, but it's it's kind of our mindset of just homework and completing tasks and getting things finished in the right way that we can get so obsessed with these things that we think it's the only thing that matters. Does it matter? Yes. I'm not saying she never, her homework doesn't matter, never encourage her, don't think about it, but we don't want to make that everything. What you are actually most responsible for when it comes to her is not if her homework gets done, but it's the relationship you have with her, how she feels about you and how she feels about herself. and and even other things about life and other things. So I don't want you to get so fixated on getting her homework done, especially right now, third grade. Again, these habits can matter, but really doesn't matter if she gets her homework done today or not. What matters more is how she feels about herself, how she feels about you and how you feel about her, and also her outlook on life, which you can help her create by seeing that things are enjoyable, things are fun. We get to do these things, we get to learn. I'm excited to see what you're doing. I like to read myself. Those types of things are much more important than if her homework is done today, in my opinion. So don't just focus on the tools of getting it done today, but look at the bigger picture. One, how are you doing? If you're not okay, then you need to get some help, either therapy or medication, because if you're depressed, she's going to feel all of that. And then also how you're approaching these things in general. Oh, reading is fun. What book are we going to get to read today? I'm curious to see what happens. And if you do read with her, rather than it being a chore of it's 20 minutes, let's get it done. We have to be very serious about it. We have to be aware that we can make it much more fun and pleasant. It's not just something that has to get done in a, in a negative way. And maybe a lot of life to you right now feels like it's just getting things done. There isn't a lot of that enjoyment. So even her own tasks, you make them that way too. But we want to make sure we don't suck the joy out of these things. And if we do that, she's not going to enjoy it and she won't ever do it. And you'll have these battles when she's in high school, too. And that's not going to work. More and more, she has to be taking that responsibility herself. Now, I'm looking at the time I do have to stop the show today, um, but I'd be more than happy for you to call back to talk some more because there are some bigger issues that are involved. But I want you to not get caught into the minutia, the day to day as much. You always are with her in the moment, but you have to have a bigger picture approach too of the relationship and how you're affecting how she looks at life and the world and all of those things that's much more important than if she finishes her math homework tonight you know
4: okay got it okay thank you for calling thank you all right
1: bye-bye all right we've reached the end of today's show thank you to all the callers and the listeners amir who is here for most of the show and Farhud, is ending it right now you've been listening to in session with dr Fadir alakwi have a wonderful day